everybody, welcome to episode 100 of Literary Disco. After a long and completely inexcusable break, we are back to end our year with a special holiday episode. In lieu of the promised very special episode with a guest, we're just yeah. decided to get back together and make something happen. So today yeah. we'll be uh, recording a pretty that. basic episode. <laughs> We will begin by each recommending a recent favorite read, and then we will offer up the official Literary Disco Book Gift Guide, wherein we will each recommend a book for you to give out this holiday season. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hello! Hey! Wow. Look at your pretty faces. You yeah. <laughs> I, here's my burning question, you guys. Okay. What are the fan theories on where we were and what we were doing? Oh, I, I think they thought it was a big fight because, you know, the last episode it was just the two of us, Julia, because Ryder was off on a vision quest. Yeah, yeah. So I think they thought that there was a hostile coup and we were going to replace Ryder with, like, I don't know, Sam Elliott. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Grizzle. I was thinking like (laughs) great voice. Uh, I'm here with Todd and Julia in the chorus country. Talking more about books. (laughs) I'm talking books and cattle. Hey everybody. (laughs) Welcome to episode one. And then me and Sam Elliott just wanted to talk about horses and Todd got bored. (laughs) So we nixed it. Right. I so think there's that. The fans there's probably that one. thought one of us was like very sick or died. That's my <laughs> guess. <laughs> wow, you guys I go mean, to extremes. Well, I think everybody if, literally just thought uh, they're being lazy. No, which is really yeah. close to the truth. Yeah, you know, just, no, that is not uh, the truth. The show is it happening? Everybody I've ever run into has asked me about it. Has just literally said, "What's up with the podcast, man? Yeah, what's going on?" I try to look. You know, where, what are you guys doing? And so I, I think it's more just sort of cluelessness because it's kind of clueless on our end. What have we been doing? What, what, do you guys want to uh, take turns answering that question? Is yeah, I mean, yeah, I, what we've been I think to? the good answer is, and you know, this is true. This has been true for the whole year. Um, you know, all three of us have really cool stuff going on that's that's really major so i mean Ryder can talk about his artistic work but he also created a human life so that's been time occupying i imagine um for myself um i just in august opened up a theater with my theater company and i'm now man a managing director of a theater space so that has been in a word i imagine that you were like are are you one of those theater directors who wears one of those um, like uh, canvas jackets with like eight hundred pockets? Yeah, with in like it? a tool belt kind of. Right. Um, no. Oh, that's hot. Yeah. I don't just do a that. tool belt. Nothing else. Just a tool belt. Yeah. And a bunch of improv comics. No, it's not a sexy job. We've had <laughs> pipes explode with forty-year-old shit clogs. So you know, Ooh, it's glamorous. That's disgusting. Uh, but no, it's been really good. I mean, for me, you know, I've been writing and doing lots of freelance work and running my theater. So that's what I've been up to. Todd, how about you? Um, well, so for a little while, um, I got really invested in arguing with white supremacists on the internet, um, in front. Did you really? That's Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Don't engage. I know. They say don't engage. But the problem is that. Like, you know, I see a bunch of white supremacists in my neighborhood talking on a community forum. Like, there's this community forum that's run by the local newspaper called You've Got Issues. And for, like, three months, I did a... It is a cool name. I did an advanced psyops campaign against a series of white supremacists and arch conservatives on on this board. It wasn't... It wasn't categorically the best of me, but, but that took a lot of time. Um, oh, I know that the election, the election. Uh, so there was that. Um, but I'm also I'm as of today, I'm six weeks away from the due date for the sequel to <laughs> Gangster Man. So. I just heard that in my mind as six weeks pregnant before you finished. <laughs> I'm I'm six weeks pregnant with a, a Nutella baby at this point because all I've been doing, <laughs> all I've been doing since like October is just shoving Nutella into my mouth while typing gangster fiction. 
So I have to turn in um, the book, which is, has a title now. It's called uh, Gangster Nation, mm. and it comes out in fall of 2017, provided that I finish it sometime in the next uh, six weeks. So I spent a lot of time sitting at my desk killing motherfuckers in interesting ways, um, and then, like I said, battling the aforementioned white supremacists on the internet. I, I mean, guys... They're not very smart. You can talk them into rhetorical corners where they just end up, you know, saying stupid shit. And then I, I feel better about myself while also being completely and fully engulfed with rage. It seems like it's good we brought the podcast back to pull you out of this <laughs> oh, quicksand. Yeah. I have I have nemesises on this page. There's a there's a woman Todd, no. who I shame for her. She posts fake stuff on the Internet and I have to keep telling her because she's a Christian, that you will stand before God with a handful of your fake memes in your hand. Todd, you can't hold a meme in your hand. Can't. Well, you know, I mean, I don't believe in An God iPad. either. So a there you go. iPad with memes on it. <laughs> Instead of a harp, we all just yeah. have iPads up there. I so heard... That, that's, that's what I've been doing. I was on a basically. plane last week Jesus, and I heard... I can't do this. Man. Yeah, no, I agree. It's not healthy. I mean, I know it's not healthy. It's, yeah, it doesn't make you feel any better. If anything, it just makes... And, and, and it make, it brings the whole conversation down. Like, of course they're stupid people. Of course they are. Not smart people are running around saying these things or engaging on the internet about these things. The real white supremacists that we should worry about are the ones, you know, actually in, in, office. in the Oval Office. Yeah, right. and they're not the ones that uh, are affected by what's being said on the internet. By, the ones by my, well, my subtle wordplay and insults, no. they're not affected by that? Uh, Ryder, what have you been doing that is hopefully more productive and less depressing than <laughs> Todd yeah. it, It's very fulfilling. Oh, and my therapist retired. I had to do something. God. Yeah. I missed you guys. We should have so done more much. podcast episodes. <laughs> I joke. I said. I should have. I've not been well. Oh. I really have not been well. <laughs> um, I haven't been doing much. I mean, I've been doing a lot of writing and creative stuff, but no, uh, we finished the third season of Girl Meets World, directing that. My brother and I were directing a lot of episodes, and um, I acted in a, a couple, and the show ended. And since then, my brother and I have just been buckling down on uh, our writing our own television stuff uh, that we're getting out there in the world in various fashions, and movie stuff, which is what we really want to do. You know, we still want to make movies more than direct television, so our goal is to get out there and be making a movie next year so we just finished one script we're probably gonna have to write something cheaper because everything we write tends to be way too expensive um but no it's been um it's been a good good period a good creative period um and then of course my son is turning two in two weeks two weeks from today which is crazy and he's it awesome crazy. and taking up like so much of my time in a wonderful way because we just hang out and he's in like a really fun stage. He talks a lot, um, uh, like a crazy amount. He's hyperverbal. And so it's just kind of like we're at the really fun stage, which I think we're going to be in, you know, for the next few years where it's just we're living the world through his eyes. And so everything is super exciting to him and you just you get to like, you know, live the world. So I think when you guys recorded the last episode we were on a road trip we took this epic road trip with him all up and down california up to oregon and back and camping and it was a lot of work of course because camping with a kid uh you know that every <laughs> there's just death traps everywhere um <laughs> and, and, you know you never get a break but it was that social services coming <laughs> that social services that social services at the door Ultimately, Mr. it was Strong. very rewarding, and you know, you can just see his brain expanding when you actually like get out into the wilderness and are talking about trees and animals, and like he just—it's so fun. So, hey, speaking yeah. of the wilderness and all the things you're doing, have you guys been watching Westworld? Uh, just started it. Of course, love it. I'm deeply into it. I don't want to talk it. about it because I've watched only two episodes. Neither of you have. Finished oh, I'm done. It? I'm I'm done with it. Oh, okay. I just started it. Yeah. Uh, okay. but we'll put a pin in that and okay. we'll come back to that next episode. Uh, Let me, how many, how many episodes have you seen, Julia? Two. Oh, okay. Don't, don't I, say I can't anything. even ask you any questions. All right. Um. How have you avoided the, the internet all this time so that you don't know things? I have people mostly, honestly, in my life talking about politics and radicalism. <laughs> they are not watching TV yeah. <laughs> at this moment. Uh, so... Uh, have you guys? Well, I know the answer to this because we've already talked about this stuff. But I mean, 
I've never felt, I know, I know a lot of you guys out there listening, um, are a little depressed and sad and, and feeling uh, a little hopeless, but I got to tell you, I've never felt, um, more engaged with my political, moral, and ethical beliefs than I do right now. Um, and so if mm. you're, if you have an activist soul in you, like this is your time, you know, this is the time where you can do some important stuff. Um, not sit back and let bad shit happen. I, I know that's what I believe anyway. I don't know yeah. if you guys are prepared to fight in the streets for, um, you know, basically every right that we have as uh, as American people. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I know I've been feeling that way too. And, you know, part of our distraction of not getting back to this podcast is, you know, that month leading up to the election where it was so tense and we were all waiting for this big release. And then, of course... It's 10 times worse than we imagined. Um, but I think that it's a really interesting time to be thinking about what you would do uh, when you're living through history. I mean, I couldn't believe that more people didn't vote that way, but we're confronted with the question that every second grader asks themselves, which is, what would you do in Nazi Germany? What would you do you know, when faced with internment camps, what would you do? So we all have to face ourselves as individuals, as intellectuals, and as artists to say, how do we, what power do we each individually have in our communities or in our states to truly change things every single day? Mm -hmm. um, and that's both incredibly difficult, uh, but also this is real. Now you get to find out who you are. So... I don't know. It's it's exciting time. Yeah, there's almost a there's a moral clarity that comes with yeah. that. You know, there's like an energizing moral clarity. Um, yeah, there's. I mean, it's it's not going to be fun. No, nope. and it's going to take a lot of work. But you know, I have to say that's that there's something almost satisfying about that of realizing that like, oh no, this it's actually life or death. Um, and you know, maybe. Maybe not if if you're a white male and you want to just live your basic life in in avoidance. Maybe it's not going to affect you directly right away, but um, it's um, it's definitely going to uh, destroy but, lives. But I mean, that's no that's what. the nature of empathy. You know, that's why we read books. Um, is that you know the fact of the matter is the three of us have it pretty pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we are uh, white, uh, educated. Um, upper middle class people with jobs and insurance and all that stuff. But I think the, the thing about being an empathetic human being is the ability to care for someone you're never going to meet, um, who doesn't, who has problems you'll never have. And yep. um, if there's one thing I learned from reading books from a very young age to the books I stopped reading just this afternoon is that caring for other people um, you can be fiscally conservative and still care for other human beings. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not been proven to be the case, at least in the first, I don't know, 45 days since Trump's been elected president. So I'm, you know, I, I, uh, I am willing to be that, that buffer, you know, I'm willing to speak for the people that can't speak. Um, that's like, that's what I'm more than happy to do. And, you know, yeah. I think if there's, if there's one thing, those you guys out there listening, um, if you're wondering, you know, what the three of us have been doing for the last two months, um, it's the same shit you guys were doing. We were sitting around looking at the world and wondering how we got here um, and, and what we can do afterwards. So we're going to try yeah. to do some good. You know, That's, we can do that. We can do some good. And I will add to that, you know, we have been busy making art mm -hmm. and holding ourselves to very high standards. And I, I really missed doing the podcast and I'm glad I'm really glad we're back because our community with the within the three of us and then our community with you guys, the listeners, is so important and so strong. Um, but at the same time, it's been really great to be artists and just keep doing our, our things. So yeah, that we if can any be legitimate. A, <laughs> if any of you have a suggestion on how to end this book I'm writing, that would also be very helpful. If you could just add yeah. Todd Goldberg, that'd be great. Todd's looking for ghostwriters. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Okay, so, guys, shall we talk yeah. about books? Yeah, and, and just so you know, people, we're not going to be this this excited or sad in future episodes. We're going to be the th same thing you've always 
expected from us, which is a general median level of outrage at all times. <laughs> I reserve I reserve the right to vacillate between my normal levels of extreme excitement and extreme sadness. <laughs> I'm you right can, there with you. You do you. All right. All right. I don't want to mansplain your emotions, Julia. Oh, my God. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> okay. So, best book you guys have read on the last six months since our last episode? Has it been six months? It's been close to that. <laughs> no, no, that's about It's been five months. It's been, been like four months, something so, like that. It's Best book while. you guys have read, or any book you want to recommend uh, that uh, we haven't talked about because we haven't been doing this. You go first, Ryder Strong. All right, I would say um, you know definitely not doing the podcast cut my reading down, which was a little bit of a bummer. Um, especially yeah. having a kid is the biggest like it cuts into your reading time more than anything because um, you know when you have free time, you want to spend it with with him. So. Um, trying to like make sure I have time on my own to read has been very difficult, but uh, I've actually found myself reading longer books uh, in response, which I don't know why, because I always like short books and you'd think that, but for some reason, like carrying around a big book for a while. So I read Matterhorn, um, which we've talked about a little bit and I, we talked about doing an episode about, um, and it was an incredible Vietnam book. It's like, I think it's 800 or 900 pages. I read A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, which I don't know if you guys know about, but yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah I read so that. so that was like another 700. So I've just been going through like, um, but the shorter book that I read that really blew me away and was actually um, a slower read just because it forced um, it forced me to slow down uh, was the book 1004 by Ben Lerner. Have you guys read this one? Oh, I wanted to read that. That no. was supposed to be quite good. It came out a couple years it's ago, pretty right? pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it came out like two years ago. Um, and it was one of these recommendations that a very literate friend threw out at dinner one night and um, and then told me, uh, oh, you'll like it. The title 1004 is from the, the, the moment the clock is frozen and back to the future. And I was like, oh, so it's going to be some sort of pop culturally, maybe time travel-y thing. And, you know, she's recommending it for me because... She, she knows that like my brother and I tend to write sort of Amblin-esque stuff in our writing. And, uh, and it's nothing like that. It's actually, uh, Ben Lerner is a poet and this is his second novel. And it's, it's the closest, um, I, the, it's, it's a very close cousin to the department of speculation by Jenny Offill that we read on, uh, uh, last year, I guess it's very similar to that. Um, it's very New York literary, and I have the exact same criticisms for for 1004 that I did for Depart Department of Speculation, which is that, um, you know, it's, it's very much a, 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 a ruminative, existential book for people that have time and money to be ruminative and existential. And so there's that criticism looming over it. But for smart, uh, literate, thinking people like our listeners... I really think everyone will, will love this book. It's 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 um, it's uh, it's a mood more than it is a functioning narrative, um, and it layers back on itself. He does lots of there's kind of three major movements in the book, and it's very uh, the line between autobiography, memoir, and uh, complete fiction is very hard to discern in a way that. Um, I would say is reminiscent of like Dave Eggers, but it's not as obvious and not as showy. It's more subdued and bizarre than that. It's a very strange book. And I, it, like I said, it forces you to slow down when you're reading it, but you actually get through it pretty fast because it's not that long. And man, like it's, it'll get you thinking. Um, so if, if you want like a good, maybe a good holiday book to like, you know, curl up with while you're drinking eggnog and, and think deeply about things and watch the snow fall, this is a great one. That sounds like a, awesome. it sounds like a, a, a nice book to, um, to forget about the problems of the world. Mm. Yeah. Kind and care of. more about I the mean, elitist problems yeah, of it, <laughs> people no, he, in big houses. He's actually, he's actually pretty spot on about, I mean, for instance, uh, the the most some of the most amazing stuff he does bring in some weird pop cultural references like Back to the Future and and he puts a lot of high and low art right next to each other. Um, but he um, 
he has this whole section. He, one of the really interesting things for me too is reading a book that by, by somebody who's exactly my age. Like I right. think he was born in, in 79 or 80. Um, and it's such an accomplished book by somebody uh, my age, which is just intimidating and frustrating, but awesome. Uh, but he talks a lot about like the Challenger disaster and uses mm-hmm. that at like one of the sections of the book is a lecture he's giving on why he became a poet within the book. Um, and the lecture is all about how the Challenger disaster inspired him and not in the way you think, not in the sort of like, this was a tragedy that just, you know, just broke my heart and taught me that I needed to write my way. No, it's nothing like that. What he does is he starts, he breaks down how he remembers crying or he remembers seeing his teacher cry because they were all watching it on TV. Mm -hmm. And then he realizes that that's impossible because it didn't actually air on television and that we all have a fake memory, which is true, because I yeah, have the same memory. I have the same memory. It's, it, it's not true. There's only one network was airing it, and only a, like 10 schools in the country actually had it. Right. So we all have this false memory. So he uses that, and then he says, huh. he starts remembering all the jokes that started circulating. Oh, there were a ton of them, weeks. yeah. All the, like, you know, di- dead teacher jokes, right. basically, like really tasteless jokes. And he starts talking about how the language of the playground. The language or the feeling, uh, the the false memories, and then he talks about watching the speech that Reagan gave that night, and he and the quote, the the quote at the end of the speech was a um, actually a, a, a an unref an un what's the word I'm looking for? It was an uncited quote from a poem uh, that this Canadian Air Force poet had written in like before he died at the age of 19 which itself was ripped off from a couple different poets so it's like this sort of intertextuality Hmm. moment for him that he cites as like the beginning of yeah it's brilliant and it's like just there's just this that's the kind of like weaving that this book does not only in like the way it's you know that in that case actually just talking in a sort of essayistic form but the the book itself the narrative of the book itself has the same sort of layers uh crazy it's a crazy book and so really, really highly recommended so in my mind i was in high school during the challenger disaster in my mind we watched it but i now that i think about it what i remember is i was in science class and our teacher like the they someone came in with a note for her and then they wheeled in a TV like on a big stand and I guess we must have watched um a replay of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, all and this... I don't even know if the replay played that much because right. I, he he actually says it in the book and I don't have it in front of me, but he actually says like there there is a reason to believe there's only like I, I said ten, but I think there might have been like fifty or five hundred schools that had access to the special network that was actually showing it. Mm-hmm. But then everybody else just watched the major news network, hmm. and they the major news networks never played the actual explosion. Wow. I mean, obviously the footage exists, so yeah. it got out. But I don't think that that night or that day people were watching the footage. Wow. It's, you know, it's his point. I went down a Challenger rabbit hole not long ago because there was some documentary that was on that was was talking about um, uh, mission control and had all the footage of them in mission control when the disaster hit or when the, the special blew up um, and, you know, he, all the recorded dialogue and everything. And I, I, man, I spent like, like four hours that I should have been writing my book, um, like in a deep, deep yeah. rabbit hole, like reading all the information watching all the videos and, you know, asking the inappropriate question, which is, were they alive when they hit the water? You know, do they, do they know if they hit the water? I mean, just, all the things that um, there's, you know, they don't have a lot of answers for still. But man, I was, it was, it was not long ago. No. And I, I think the cool thing, in a way, about um, your childhood memories is now there's a there's a pretty good record of them. You know, you can you can go look it up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, particularly, all, like I was watching all the different angles of the explosion. It was really sort of a morbid, awful night that I should have just gone to. Yes, bed. very morbid. Okay. Listen to a podcast. My turn. <laughs> or just engage with white supremacists. Yeah. Well, you know, Todd, did, you need to I get did. out more. You should come live yes. in a big city like me and Ryder. You I can talk to real me. people. When you have a couple hours that you're about to go see a white supremacist. <laughs> just drive to LA. Just drive to LA. We'll hang out. We'll talk like post-structuralist theory. Oh, that would be porch, nice. You know? That would be nice. I could. I would like that. We could drink Red Breast, and then I could get drunk and fight white supremacists. No, 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 no. 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 You just crash out on my couch. Okay, okay I'm gonna go. Uh, Uh, All right, so I read this super awesome book this year. Um, Well, here's how it started. 
I was in the book barn in Niantic, which is the greatest <laughs> book place in America. Anyone who's been there is yeah. shrieking right now. Um, and I found a copy of Stacy Schiff's new uh, book about the Salem Witch Trials, and I started to read that, and that was pretty good. And then I was like reading her stuff. I went down my own rabbit hole, hole and uh, I found her biography of Cleopatra, which came out. I'm holding it in my hand. It won the Pulitzer Prize. Um, it came out. Let's see. Let's see. In 2011 or 2010. Have you guys read or heard of this biography? I'm holding it up. No. Uh, I, you just told me about it when I saw you earlier this, this it year. It is so, so yeah, amazing. amazing. So similar to our false challenger memories, what do you guys actually <laughs> know about Cleopatra? Nothing. 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 I know, I know about the ass. I know the Shakespeare play, Antony and Cleopatra. Um, I know the Richard and Burton and Liz Taylor movie, basically. Right. I have never even seen that. This so. biography. Yeah, the, the love story, simplistic version. Yeah, this biography simultaneously shines light on everything we don't know, which is includes what she looked like or anything she oh. ever said. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the things we do know, which are histories told by, I mean, the essential thing here from a historical point of view is the only people that told Cleopatra's history were her political enemies. So our entire oh. idea of her is this like seductive skank who, you know, ruined Rome. <laughs> of course, right. of course, that's what we think of her, because for thousands of years we were giving that getting that through her enemies um it's like if donald trump wrote the biography of hillary clinton nasty exactly woman right. colon nasty <laughs> but my no, story it's, of hillary clinton yeah it's even more than that it's a it, there's there is a line like early in the introduction of like it's as if the history of early america was written by like chairman mao like right. a right. completely otherworldly idea of of what she did and why but i mean she was descended from this like absolutely insane family line which was like i'm gonna be exaggerating here but this is the jet the gist um like for like 13 or 14 generations it was just straight incest like you would marry your mother and then your mother would have you murdered and then she would marry her <laughs> nephew and then he would have the original mother murdered and then he would marry his sister and it would just go on and on for hundreds of years. So Cleopatra had brothers who she had killed. Um, and I mean, what makes this really powerful is that the women ruled also. So there wasn't this like, you know, you normally have this dynastic line where the women are just like off to the side manipulating uh from the sidelines, but they're ruling too. So like, it's just this complete crazy orgy of murder and incest. And, you know, I had no idea that that's the history there. So anyway, and that's what I, everything I just said is the first 10 pages out of 300. So <laughs> when does, when does King Tut show up? Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I, I don't really, I don't have a well, firm grasp on Egyptian history. Yeah, well, or world history, or, or reality map. in general. I don't really know where things are. <laughs> was True. King Tut? Uh, was he? Was he real? Was King Tut real? Yes. Well, first of all, his name wasn't King Tut. <laughs> Tutankhamun, I believe. Look, all I know and is, was he even a king, or was he a pharaoh? He's a pharaoh. He's then a pharaoh. why was he called King so we're, Tut? Because a bunch of colonial English people. <laughs> Opened up his grave, and then the whole mummy myth started. Yeah, but because I mean, of the curse of when they put that that whole King Tut thing on tour when I was a kid. Like, do you remember Ryder when it was like in San Francisco for? Yeah, a I mean month that was an something? amazing exhibit. Oh yeah. yes, I do. That's right. That was a whole like it was a thing. I can't believe you just blew my mind. <laughs> and and it was I was pretty much convinced that people were going there. They were getting cursed. And then the curse of King Tut, whatever that was, was somehow going to get to Castle Rock Elementary in Walnut Creek, and I would, I would, I don't know what would happen. I'd be cursed. Wow. Well, but Todd, anyway. it seems like you maybe should read this book. You would absolutely love it. It's 
totally riveting. If you, I would recommend it for anyone who's like mildly interested in biography but is intimidated. It reads very much like a novel. It's really good. Um, and eventually, I'll get back to the witches, which is the Salem witch trial book. Ooh, that sounds um, good too. But that that one's even harder because uh, Salem. This is super creepy. Salem destroyed all evidence of the witch trials happening. So everything that we should know, we just don't because they hmm. were Puritans and they were really good at being like, wow, this was fucking embarrassing. Let's bury it forever. <laughs> what, a, what a rich history we have as Americans. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Repression, denial. Denial. Genocide. Denial, writer, is just a, Genocide. just a river in Repression, Egypt. I oh, wow. Boom. I will say, one more thing I'll say about the witches is... Brought it back to Cleopatra. <laughs> I... I started reading uh, The Witches, and I, I did really like it. Um, it is so weird to live in New England and read about the Puritans, because in New England, we like think we're so superior and modern and amazing, and it's like, you know, no. We're, we're just still doing the exact same pearl-clutching <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, on to you, Todd. What's your recommendation? Um, well, I've spent the last several months reading, doing a lot of research for this book I'm writing. Um, so I've been reading a lot of books about, like, Kabbalah, um, which is the Scientology of Judaism, basically, um, cool. but without the good press, I guess. No, I guess Scientology is bad press. Without the Leah Remini special, that's what Kabbalah is. Um, Kabbalah has Madonna. Yeah. She did. I don't know if she, did she still practice or take it seriously, or it was just kind of a trendy moment in her life? I think it was a trendy moment, you know, and they sold a lot of those red bracelets. I mean, Kabbalah is like, is it, I mean... It's been the um, the dark corner of Judaism for like, you know, 3,000 years or 2,000 years or whatever. Um, or I guess it would be 2,000, 3,000 years there, there weren't Jews yet. Um, were there? Wait. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there were. Uh, <laughs> wow. What a, Boom. What a great uh, Jew you are. Uh, they actually <laughs> escaped out of Egypt. Right. Back to Egypt. I remember now. Wow. I remember now. Yeah. They've been around forever. Um so anyway, I've been reading a lot of books about Judaism, and clearly I need to be, be reading more. Um, but I read two books that, um, one book for research and one book uh, because I wanted to, that had a profound effect on me. Um, the first book that I read that um, I, I absolutely loved is a book called, this is a, a nonfiction book, it's called The Way to the Spring, Life and Death in Palestine by Ben Ehrenreich. And this was not a book for uh, my research. So Ben Ehrenreich, if you're not familiar with him, um, is a nonfiction writer and also a novelist as well. Um, and for a couple of years, he was writing dispatches from Palestine, where he was uh, living, um, that appeared in the New York Times and uh, the Los Angeles Review of Books and all sorts of places. And um, I think one of them won a, a New York Times. Um, one of them is won he a, an American a national... that was yeah. living over there. Yeah, oh, okay. he's an American Jew who was living over there. Um, and one of his pieces won a, a National Magazine Award. At any rate, um, the way to the spring is—it's—it it, was a fairly controversial book when it came out this summer, and and for reasons that will be clear here. So, Ben is an American Jew. He spent a year living in Palestine, um, living with just normal Palestinian people, and the way to the spring documents essentially what it's like to live in Palestine if you're not someone who's on the front lines of fighting. Um, what it's like to live um, essentially in a a controlled space, and you know, I've got as a as a Jew, I've got um, complex feelings about uh, Israel and Palestine and all that sort of stuff. Um, positions and thoughts that sometimes work in opposition to each other on a fairly regular basis, and are probably too deep and emotional to discuss on a little podcast. But I brought Ben out to UCR um, when he was writing this book and interviewed him about the year he spent in Palestine, his impressions of the Palestinian people. And there were 300 people in the audience when I brought him out to talk. And at the end of our conversation, um, people screamed at me and called me an anti-Semite and asked me if I was going to be presenting the authors of um, the Protocols of Zion later on as well to talk about it, um, which is fascinating because essentially Ben is reporting. He's reporting about life in Palestine and what that's like, what it's like under, um, you know, with, with the Israelis and what it's like, you know, with the Palestinians bombing the Israelis, the Israelis bombing the Palestinians, um, the sort of systemic oppression that, that goes on there. And, you know, it's a it's a 
a pretty difficult subject. Um, but Ben's talking about it on a granular human level. He's talking, he's talking to families and, and people with kids and, and what it's like to live in this world. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes have the same knee-jerk reactions of anybody um, when it comes to issues of death and war and things like that, which is when people kill Jews, <laughs> my, my general response is, kill them all. Let's kill all the Jews. Never, or not kill the Jews. Kill who's ever killing the Jews. Never again. All that stuff. Um, but for these people living in Palestine um, that Ben writes about, you know, these are people who, in some cases, don't have huge opinions about um, Judaism and Islam. Um, you know, sometimes it's just people. And I found it really uh, edifying to read, and I found it challenging to the beliefs that I have as an American, but also the beliefs I have as a um, non-religious Jew to read this stuff. Um, and and to sort of understand what the Israeli occupation means to someone who's just trying to carve out a normal existence um, is, is fascinating. I mean, it, it, it's, it's also beautifully written. Ben is a, a lovely writer um, with a, a gift for metaphor and simile um, and conveys the human experience and suffering and the dichotomies that exist in, in really, you know, powerfully drawn sections. There, there's a bit in the book about, um, you know, the wanting to, the, this one family wanting to go to see the water um, and how the, you know, the, that the you know members of the family had never been there. I mean, it's just it, it's a, a challenging book for um, for people who are interested in um, in seeing what life actually looks like in a place that we don't really get a, a very good view of, um, n- neither on the news nor in reality. So I loved that one. And then my second one, just for those of you who are interested in this sort of stuff, is a book called Zero Zero Zero. Um, which is uh, by Roberto Saviano. If any of you have been watching that show on, um, I think it's Netflix, uh, called Gomorrah, the, it's, which is, takes place in Italy and it's about the mob. Uh, Robert, uh, Roberto Saviano wrote that book, but 000 looks at the cocaine trade across the world. Oh, and, interesting. And it's absolutely fascinating. And it, and it tells you about essentially the founding of the cartels and how that came about and about the movement of, um, of drugs from Mexico to, you know, small towns in America. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And of course it's about systemic corruption as well and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that, that's my other big pick. If you want to feel unsafe in the world you live in today. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I've been reading, I haven't read any fiction, um, save for one or two books in the last couple of months. I've just been reading all nonfiction. Me too, actually. Hmm. And watching a lot of TV and listening to... Um, That's not a good idea. Listening to sort of screeds about how to fight white supremacists on the internet that I find... Um, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot awesome. of rage, guys. I just, I've just i got so much rage. Yeah. That's all, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Well, uh, okay. So the next thing we wanted to talk about was holidays and recommending books for the holidays. Do you guys... Do you feel like those are your holiday recommendations or no. when you do recommend <laughs> books for the holidays? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I, I'd love to talk for a second about this as a concept of recommending books. You know, it's really hard. It's really hard. And, and doing what we do, I know we all get asked for recommendations all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the easiest thing, what ends up happening, right, is you give somebody a book based on their interests, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, my dad's into planes, so let's get a historical World War II fiction about, you know, pilots, or my aunt's really into being a mom right now, so we'll get her this memoir about, but I just think that, like, that hasn't always worked for me. I feel like every time I've done that, I never hear about the book again. <laughs> I never, it, I, I've never had somebody come back and be like, you know, you really bought me that book because of that thing I was into, and it totally worked out. I, it never happens. They just never read it. The, the, the reality is no one ever reads a book you give them anyway, unless they're like a serious reader. Most of the time, it's going to sit on the shelf, and they're going to think of you, hopefully, when they look at it and feel a little guilty about why they haven't read it, right? Like, that's <laughs> what we're aiming for. But Wow, that I, is so, like, dark. I, well, but I think it's true, because like, I, what we really have to think is that when somebody when you give somebody a book, it's an opportunity for you to 
hopefully push them in a direction that maybe they wouldn't go normally. Right. Like, that's the best. Mm. And the times that, that I've gotten books and really enjoyed them is when somebody does that. When they give me something that I have no, like, no clue about, and they're like, trust me, Ryder, you're going to like this. And that sort of, that curiosity is like, why? Why would you give me this book? Has spurred me to read it, and then whether I've loved it or hated it, I've read it, and end up having yeah. a good conversation or a connection with them about it. Or so that's kind of my philosophy. Not that I've lived this philosophy very, yeah, but, very often. But then there's but, also the, the fucking holidays where Shiloh gives you pillars of the earth and then we're stuck with right. it for the rest of our fucking lives too. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Shiloh. Well, right. I mean, I think that, I mean, you're hitting on something that I think is really true, Ryder, which is that giving a book is an emotionally huge thing. Like you're touching someone's soul with a piece of your soul, you know? And I, the person that I recommend the most books to is my sister. Um, and she's my sister. And still every time she's like, Oh, I love that. Or this was really cool. I feel like, Oh, like this huge sense of like, Oh, phew. Like she doesn't think I'm a total loser. Uh, (laughs) based on my, book recommendations but yeah it's really hard i mean what i normally try to do is get two other books that the person really likes and then try to triangulate a third style a stylistic thing rather than a subject so you're you're basically the christmas gwen glazer of the new york public library only for christmas (laughs) no gwen Gwen is a master she's a master but did were like when you were kids or when you were younger was there like a book that everyone got one christmas like i remember um there was one year when we were all young enough all of us being my siblings and my mom and everyone but we had left home but we were all old enough to go back home where where inexplicably everyone bought each other presumed innocent by scott turow um, no, or, or my that mom. Did not happen. Or my mom. I think this does happen though every year. Like I mean, th- because everyone just looks at like the New York Times bestsellers list and like picks the the you know the one that's about the cool spy right. or whatever, and just gives that as the book gift. Right. Or the bridges of Madison County. Do you remember the year right. where everyone got the bridges of Madison County? You've mentioned this before. We don't remember that. No. Oh my god. Everyone was crying. I remember the movie. Oh, the movie was shit. The book was shit too. But everyone was like, they, like everyone would open up their book and then they go sit in the corner and read the Bridges of Madison County and right. saw. Well, it was like when Eat, Pray, Love came right. out, right? Right. It was like the same sort of vibe. It's like, but is I really would that good of a book, or is just it's just the book that you're reading this year because you only read one book a year, right? You know, so it's. I would never give a New York Times top ten bestseller wow. to anyone. Wow. Wow. I would never do it. There's Just never been a good God. one. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, and I'll tell you why. Wow. Let's, uh, let's pull up some of the New York Times bestsellers for this year. It, anything <laughs> by Todd, stay on the New York Times bestseller list for a month. Oh, mm. yeah. There was that one book he did this summer. Other than that... <laughs> Uh, but it's no, because it, it doesn't it, take any creativity, right? Like, I think it's because there's too high Sorry. a likelihood they already bought it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, if there's somebody who's going to absolutely love mm-hmm. uh, Eat, Pray, Love, mm-hmm. they may have probably bought it for themselves. Yep. Yeah, or maybe yeah. I'm just the kind of person who wants to... Mm-hmm. I think, like Ryder's saying, I want to be an introducer. Like, to take yes. someone in a new direction. But it's tricky because if it's a hard book, if it's difficult to read, you know, in in any of the senses of that word, it could really backfire right. and make you make the person feel bad, make them feel like they're not a good reader, or make them, you know, like you don't want to. It's like for me, I want to make sure that if I give somebody a book, it's 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 usually a quick read or something that. I know has a good enough story to pull them along when I'm thinking about fiction. I mean, non nonfiction, I guess is a whole another category, but like when I'm thinking about fiction, like I wouldn't give people Ben Lerner's 1004 unless I know that they're like a real reader. They've read poetry or they're interested in, in those kinds of books. Like, I think that would be a bad gift mm-hmm. to give because I think most people would be like, what is going on in this book? Like a lot of people would. And that doesn't mean it's a, better or worse book it's just clearly geared towards a certain type of how how do we feel about joke books like i got uh, for when my mom was alive at christmas she's like (laughs) Like literal joke book no like you know like the yuppies guy 300 not jokes (laughs) stuff like that but like absurd like books you'd keep in your bathroom 
my mom used to buy a lot of those books for everybody. Like oh right, like the the like er, the what, there are what are those books called where they're literally like for when you're on the, in right. the bathroom like Uncle something or others something or yes. others. <laughs> oh god, I, um, I remember. Seeing but those my, my mom was yes. forever buying books like that, or she'd buy everyone Griffin and Sabine. Do you guys remember Griffin and Sabine? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I love Griffin and Sabine. Me too. I, uh, they, they were awesome. They were absolutely awesome. Um, I was we the whole family was deeply into those things, but like then my, my sister sometimes would, you know, this was when we were younger. She'd get us all books that were sort of vaguely spiritual, like Illusions by Richard Bach, with a, a box mm. set of Jonathan Livingston Siegel by Richard. I Bach. think that's I think that's what people mostly give. I think that's why like Eat, Pray, Love ends up. It's like this sort of self helpy, spiritually important books like the secret or mm-hmm. you know like those are the ones that people end up giving because it's it's like this book is not just a fun read or something it's like this will make you a better person right this is, right so, i'm giving you the gift of this book that changed my life in some way tuesdays with oh Lord. god right? like feel good, feel good yeah. guys, so guys i gotta tell you i was i don't remember where the hell i was i was somewhere um and there was some college student came up to wherever i was and i asked this person Hey, what's your favorite book? And she said, Oh, you've probably never heard of it. It's pretty obscure. And I'm like, Well, go ahead, try me. And she said, It's called Tuesdays with Maury. And I, I actually screamed out loud. Obscure? <laughs> yeah, I was like, obscure? <laughs> what are you talking about? Obscure. Like huge bestseller. Like, it's an it's in every dentist office and free library in America. It's not obscure. And I was going on and on and on. Oh, I, I go I remember where I was. I was at a grad fair at UCLA and my um my colleague Agam was like, Todd, come on, man. Let's let's step away from the Yeah, again, <laughs> why do you engage with these people? I don't know. <laughs> this is you realize this is just to make yourself feel better. Yeah. It doesn't do them no. any good. It doesn't change she, their minds. It's just She didn't And you're still angry I'm about still it, angry. so you actually didn't even make yourself feel and better. Okay, so let me tell you the, the, the girl did not and she was a girl, she was like nineteen. I say a young woman. She oh, did not appreciate kid. my um me telling her that her taste was awful. Of course <laughs> no, not. It was, well, it was you, a bad moment. It was a bad moment. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. No, I, I mean, shouldn't. Here is another strategy for holiday gift giving. Okay. And this is from my dad. Uh, here's what my dad wants for Christmas. He wants me, as his gift to him, to reread The Red Badge of Courage so we can talk about it on Christmas. Wow. That's cool. So That's a great idea. Often he will ask me or my siblings, he'll be like, I just read this, read it and talk about it with me. And that's quite a way to recommend a book. That is it's a saying quite a like, way. I read I read this, I really want to know what you think about it. You and, could even do it this way where you give them the book and when they open it, you pull out your own copy and you say, I haven't read it yet. Yeah. But oh. we should read this together. Like basically like create a little mini book club. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. awesome. That's a great idea. Oh, that's so so cool. It's much less like paternalistic and condescending than how we've been talking about it, which is like, I am the knower of what is good and I will give it to you. And more like, please connect with me over this piece of art, which is really, really fun. So I I have to go read The Red Badge of Courage. It's so good. I I had only only just read it like two years ago. I think we might have talked about it when I did. Yeah, I've I've actually never read it. You've never read it, Julia? No, I haven't. Oh, wow. It's amazing. Stephen Crane was a genius and yeah. super dark and, and super insightful. I've heard his book, like, Maggie of the Streets or Life of the Girl in the Streets. Is supposed oh, to yeah, that's supposed to be really and good. And then yeah. Um, yeah. The Blue Hotel. Was that his? Not The Blue Hotel. Um, oh, what the hell is it called? Uh, he has another book that's also really good, the title of which I cannot remember. I'm sure our listeners can Google it if they are so blind. Well, maybe we should do a Stephen Crane episode. That's a good idea. Just throwing it out there. So so what are you going to give out? Oh, it is The Blue Hotel. The Blue Hotel. Great book. You guys should all read it. Fantastic, Stephen Crane. Awesome. So, Julia, if you had one book to give out this Christmas, or Hanukkah, (sighs) what is the one book you would give? Well, my go-to giveaway book for a couple years was um, Tiny Beautiful Things. Uh, Which is a stage thought, show, right? It's a play now. Yes, yep. it is. Um, because it was a great mix of the spiritualism that Ryder's talking about mm-hmm. and also really well written. So that was a really good gift. Um, 
this year, basically everything I've read has been incredibly depressing. <laughs> um, so actually, just the other day, I went back to a book that I really loved when I read it. And I've always said it's one of my favorite books, but that's kind of expired because I haven't read it in a decade. Um, so I started rereading it. Uh, and it is What is the What by Dave Eggers. Mm -hmm. And it's a really great, I feel like it's a good recommendation because it's a wonderful mix of a really empathetic, politically aware book about real things, which is Sudanese refugees. But it also has this very Dave Eggers uh, positive undercurrent. It does feel meaningful. It does feel spiritual in a sense. So it's, and of it's, a weird, weird blend of fiction and nonfiction where it is nonfiction, but it's told by Dave Eggers and they sold it as a novel. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's kind of a little bit of everything and just tonally it hits really well. And I think it is a book that anyone would like. It's like if, if people like novels, they will just like it on that level and they're kind of tricked into reading this political work. But if you're reading a lot about politics or, um, international crises, you would like it because it's so rich with information and human stories. It's kind of like, this is a really weird statement, it's kind of like a really, really well-written Humans of New York experience. <laughs> where you're like, this is one life, this is one person, and this is their lived emotional experience. Right. Um, so that is, that's a book I often recommend without hesitation. So that will be my holiday giveaway. Okay. Uh, I'll go next. I have three books. I have three books. Ugh, well, I thought we um, had one. You just, you, the way you just <laughs> phrased it was like, if you had one book to give, I know. Then you go, uh, here's my three books. You tricked but, me. Like, I, I want to do it so that if you have like a large extended family of um, people, that you can pick one book for each of them. Okay, okay. Just pick, right, it, so up, pick it up. I got three books. The first one is <laughs> The Lost Art of Reading, Why Books Matter in a Distracted Time by oh, David yeah. Ulan, um, who I should note is my friend. Um, it came out five or six years ago. It's a slim little book. Um, it's, it's 120 pages. And David Ulan, for many years, was the book critic of the Los Angeles Times. Um, he sits on the um, selection for the National Book Award, so he reads a lot of books. But this is really a, um, a book that begins to understand for you as you're reading both how to read as a writer, but also the value that reading provides you um, in terms of understanding empathy, something we talked about at the beginning of the show, and, and why reading still matters when you can go and look at your Facebook page or look at your Twitter page um, or you know write a dozen emails. It, it's, a, it's a love letter to literature and the meaning of literature. Um, but it's also about David and his son and, and about getting his son into reading as well. And I think that's a compelling thing. So that's number one. Number two, if you're that person who loves the bestsellers and all you want to read is popcorn fiction, the, one of the best books I read this year for pure, unadulterated entertainment was The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney, which is about a, a dysfunctional family of siblings who are waiting for an inheritance and everything falls apart. And oh, yeah, I heard about there's this. bickering and comedic, yeah, totally comedic, super funny. You'll laugh. Um, it's also extraordinarily well written. Um, Cynthia has a wonderful style and great timing. You can, you can see the HBO series that this book will be. As soon as it's already been. Optioned. Oh yeah. It, it was optioned by, um, uh, Jill Soloway, actually, who makes uh, of course. Uh, of course. transformation. Um, but it's transparent. transparent. I'm sorry. Um, but it's super funny. It's a quick read. It's, it's like 400 pages long. But if you're flying somewhere for the holidays also and you want to read a book before giving it to your mom or your brother or whomever, um, this is perfect for that. And then my last one, um, I'm, I'm super happy about this today, uh, is a book called Grace by Natasha Dayan, who was a student of mine. And it was just picked as one of the 10 best books of the year by the New York Times. Wow. Um, which is super cool. But more importantly, it's about um, a runaway slave in the 1840s. Um, and it's told from the perspective of uh, this dead slave um, as she watches her child's life um, in the post-Civil War South. 
and it is mm, wow. one of the most stirring mm. and emotional novels I've ever read. But it also, um, it's not just about the uh, the black experience post-Civil War, which you might imagine is not a pleasant one. It, there's also, um, you know, big questions about what it means to be a white person in the South at that time and a Jewish person in the South at the time. Um, it's a, But it's a big, multi-dimensional, multi-generational novel about exactly what the title says, about grace and how we find it in all its forms and um natasha's a an amazing writer totally deserving of the new york times saying it's one of the best books of the year but more importantly i think it's just um an important piece of literature for our time so if you have a serious reader in your family someone who um wants to get uh invested in a book that's going to make them sob and also make them angry and then make them think about spirituality then grace by natasha dion those are my three picks oh my god our recommendations go hand in hand so well perfect all right so my whole suggestion that i i i like i said earlier i wanted to think of something that's like readable and um and, and yet still meaningful and in this case political subversively political so after we read Dawn by Octavia Butler, I couldn't believe that I hadn't read more of hers. So I went on to read Kindred. Oh. And right about the same time that I was actually I full disclosure, I was listening to it on audiobook. I didn't read it. I was listening to Kindred on audiobook. I went and walked into Powell's bookstore in Oregon and like I do, just walked out with a million books. But one of the books I walked out with that I started reading right at the same time as listening to Kindred was Between the World and Me by Tana Oh, Coates. an amazing oh, so book. Amazing. An amazing yes. book. God, right. Okay, yes. so these two books, hand in hand, were like, they, they, they were like a one-two punch that just floored me. And here's, here's why. So Coates' book, it, like, it begins by just bringing home this whole idea of the body right like the corporate the corporeality of the black experience you know it's it's like it's so easy to get lost in rhetoric and, and in theory and talk about blackness and whiteness in a way that they, they they become like these these concepts you know where they're not actual that where, where they are actual things but they're not right they're like completely made up constructs they're, they're, they're these existence as categories or like race as a category mm-hmm. is a function of white supremacy so like that's where his book begins you know and he does that by talking about the body his body the body of black people that his you know body. our country's built on right his son's mm-hmm. body and how that you know the violence to the body anyway so i'm reading the, his incredible book about that but then I'm also listening to Kindred, and Kindred is this incredible speculative fiction sci-fi story with this woman named Dana, who's in 1976, black woman, 26 years old, and she's moving into a new place with her husband. She's got a white husband. Um, they're, they're moving into their new place, and she suddenly gets nauseous and passes out, wakes up in the slave era saving a boy from drowning this little white boy from drowning she sees this little white boy who's like in a pond drowning and she like immediately grabs him mouth to mouth saves his life and then the all the white people freak out that this black woman is touching this and then she like transports back to the present 1976 present wow and now she's freaking out what the fuck is going on she eventually figures out that this is her great great grandfather Mm great 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 grandfather potentially i'm forgetting how many generations it goes back and she keeps against her will every few hours sometimes it's days gets sent back and has to live as a slave on his plantation because she's like his guardian angel literally saving him from dying and it's this weird story that I was reading it going like, what are the organizing principles of like this time travel? And of course there aren't any, of course it doesn't make any sense. It's not explainable except as a perfect, perfect narrative. It's exciting. It's thrilling. It's like, but it's a perfect way to bring this relationship of a present day black woman to her own history and to white men that created the situation that she finds herself in today in, you know, contemporary America and how she has to relate physically. Her body has to relate to this past in a very real way. And sometimes for years, she spends years in the past 
Um, it's an incredible book. It's like, to me, it's a masterpiece of speculative fiction. I think it's like the best sci-fi I've ever read. Wow. Because it's so, it's so, uh, like, and I mean, I like like I said, with the, with the Coates book on in my hand, but also just what's, what's going on in our country right now, it is one of the most important and um, powerful ways to draw you into this this um, collision of bodies at the center of America. You know, I mean, that's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. The violence that's been done to bodies, um, you know, particularly people of color. And this makes it so visceral and personal in a great story that is incredibly readable. And I just think, like, if you hand this book to somebody, you don't have to say any of this. You don't have to just... I think more people need to be reading this book yeah, right yeah. now yeah. because it's like, a, it's such an easy way. It really is easy. It's a fun book to read. It's, 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 it's not like, um, you know, it's not a tragedy. I mean, it's tragic, but it's, it's mostly her heroic journey, but, um, it's, it, I mean, it definitely has some awful sad moments, but it's, it's a, it's an endlessly readable way to sort of bring this up. Particularly if you have a relative that might've voted for Trump, <laughs> this might be a really Man, just interesting book this, to throw in their this, direction. This uh, episode is going to get us on a watch list. Just, just yeah. so we're clear. Good. Good. Well, well, go I think that was an amazing recommendation, yes. Ryder. I've never read it. Um, I can't wait. And did they make it a movie also? That- yes. I don't know, but if oh they did because I was gonna say if Oprah hasn't like produced this by the like next year, there's something wrong. I want to say country. it was a movie in the mid 1990s um, with Lawrence Fishburne or something. Really? I don't know. Um, if it, I, I don't know if it's been made into a movie. I don't think it has. No, it has. I'm looking at the book. It has a like a famous actress on. As a tie-in cover. Hold on. Let's see. Um, there, there's probably another movie named Kindred, but I don't know if, well, whatever. It should be a miniseries. It should be a complete series because it's incredible. So um, I think, you know, uh, all right, guys, I think we should end this episode here. <laughs> We've been talking forever. It's the middle of the night <laughs> in my world. Um, but more than that, um, uh, that was a bunch of really good recommendations. Todd, do you have information on Kindred? Uh, not There's a thousand uh, TV shows and movies called Kindred. Um, okay. Following the murder I, I... of his wife and son, an agoraphobic man becomes convinced that someone or something is invading his home. No, okay. no. Uh, I found I found uh, the last thing I could find on Kindred and movie Google search was somebody writing an essay about how now is the time for it. Oh, okay, and it's wow. true. I couldn't agree more. Um, so, awesome. yeah. So, Make it. So, did we have some listener questions? Though? I don't think as a white male writer director, it's really my place to <laughs> so, jump in uh, and let me, try and make that movie. I guess I just threw that out to the world. Oh, yes, so, somebody. There was it. a movie in 1987 that I remember called *The Kindred*. Amanda's deathbed request to her son John was for him to destroy all the lab notes from her last experiment. She also blurts out she had a brother. Dot dot dot. Rod Steiger. Okay. Kim you're wasting, Hunter. You're wasting our time and our David listeners. David Allen Brooks, yeah. the kindred. Right. Okay, so to answer Todd's question, um, right when we were about to start recording, I threw out on Twitter and Facebook, uh, you know, if listeners had questions that we could answer during this episode. Now, we got... Guys, people really thought we were dead. <laughs> uh, Despite the fact that I was tweeting every 20 minutes. <laughs> there, is, there is a thirst... There's a thirst and a hunger for us to answer. We have. All right, we'll do a questions episode next. Yeah, we're going to do a whole questions episode, is my point. But so, give us, listeners. Give us three, though. Three to close it out. One for each of us. No, okay. we don't have time. Do I, do I, no. I don't want to go. I missed you guys so much. We I will haven't do... eaten dinner yet. I am dying. It's 9 30 at night. My wife has been waiting for me. We will do one question. Okay. Okay, so several comments in this fan uh, that us being back is the only good thing about 2016. <laughs> uh, That's sad. One of the reader questions is... David Bowie I need a book. died on my birthday in 2016. Oh, oh Todd, yes. Todd. Yes. Sorry. Focus. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Todd, you, take it to the message boards okay. after we are All done, right. okay? <laughs> it just might. Uh the question our closeout is I need a book to make me feel like 2016 has been a bad dream. <laughs> wow. That's a great question. Yeah. Hmm. 
I we may have to leave it dangling there. Actually, why don't we do that? Let's throw it out to the listeners. So we'll try to answer it, and you guys try to answer it. So what's a book that has made can make you feel like 2016 was a bad dream? <laughs> I don't even. I mean, I Kindred might be the answer. I don't even know how to answer. Yeah, Kindred is Kindred is kind of the, my answer. It's very similar th- uh, thinking that brought me to to making that book a recommendation, but. Uh, I, right. I think we got to embrace reality. Because it's escapist. It's escapist, but with incredible, uh, important undertones, overtones, <laughs> tones. <laughs> Guys, we are rusty. We were away. We missed you. And I, yeah. I do think we haven't said sincerely enough, we're very sorry for disappearing. Yeah. We didn't realize how much you would miss us. And it has been really heartening and wonderful to know that they're such a strong and kind and worried, frankly, literary community out there. Look, so I, I think people thought we killed writer Julia. I think that's just what it is. People thought we'd no, Ryder. I think no, Todd, I think people know that Ryder killed you for suggesting that we have a random guest on <laughs> who yes. I was when I was gone, God. there was a horrible suggestion. Guys, I was, I was somewhere again. I don't remember where. And some person... It actually wasn't a horrible suggestion. The, 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 the problem was the follow-through on actually oh, yeah. we, uh, how we were going to select this person. <laughs> I never never quite got the yeah. story. And that was Todd's plan. That was never made clear so by any of us. If we, ever, we should bring it back. If, if, if our listeners want us to bring it back, we will. But it's going to be way better organized. Yeah, super. Than, super yes. organized. And by that, hey, happy hundred episode, guys! Happy hundred episode. We We made it, my God! I have a final question. We can all answer really easily. Uh, People ask me this all the time: Are we actually friends? (laughs) And the answer to that is certainly for our hundredth episode. Yes, Uh, we spend we spend almost an hour before we start recording talking. Um, not about books, but about everything we're doing, and you know, I think we all can't believe how long we've been friends. I know we've been yeah, we've been friends awesome. now, guys, for um, for ten years. What? Yeah, Jesus, that's so. <laughs> we've crazy. been friends for ten years. Yeah. That's that's really nice. That's amazing. Yeah, that's that really. Cool. I was so much skinnier. Me too. Ryder no. looks Rider the same. Looks we all gained weight. That's same. that's what we all think. That's what we all have to say. We all gained weight. All right. All right. On to the holidays. All right. Okay, no. Merry Christmas. Right. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. We'll see. Happy holidays. holidays. We'll, we'll see you in 2017, which is going to be so much better. No one else can die. It's going to be cool. great. No one. And we're going to be right there with you guys. Yes. Through yeah. 2017. Yes. The fight goes on. Ho ho ho. How do I do this? I hit stop?